Rusty Quill presents. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, guys. If you haven't listened yet, the soundtrack for episode 45 of Wobegon is available on Bandcamp at wobegonpod.bandcamp.com, as well as the Patreon at patreon.com slash woe underscore begon. These songs are reprises of four of the original songs from the Wobegon soundtrack. I had a lot of fun making it, and it was a fun way to celebrate one year of Wobegon. Speaking of Patreon, patreon.com slash woe underscore begon is the only place besides my house where you can hear my cat yell at you. In addition to cat clips, there's early access to episodes, instrumentals, Q&As, director's commentaries, a secret Discord channel, and more. Thanks to my 10 newest patrons. John Grills, Duke, Ryan Bank, Courtney Boyer, Sarah G, Logan Cheshire, Ratton Cameron, Nick Long, Byron, and Astrid for supporting the show. Enjoy. Anne's cabin was luxurious, decadently furnished and thematically ornamented. The whole place was designed to feel comfortable and rustic, despite how sprawlingly large it was. This was because Anne was not staying in a cabin provided by Old Brush Valley Energy and Resources Lodging Logistics Division or whatever it's called, but rather an Airbnb that she was renting out as a base of operations. She had been there for several weeks, waiting quietly in preparation for the events to play out as they had all while I had been making a trip into Tier 2 to sabotage some necessary equipment for the upcoming mission that the Flinchites had roped Edgar and I into, a mission that apparently led to the death of at least Edgar in some iterations of the scenario. I had hopefully prevented these iterations from occurring. I sat in a wooden kitchen chair that had been dragged into a comfortably sized bathroom. 
When Anne had texted asking if I wanted breakfast, I immediately shot back that I was only interested if she was able to field dress a wound for me. She thought that I was being cheeky until I showed up to her place bleeding from my left arm. I hadn't made much of it in the moment. The adrenaline of what I was doing was enough to mask any pain, but I had accidentally shot myself in the left arm, a limb that at this point felt more like a cursed instrument, destined to forever be a magnet for suffering since it was first sacrificed for Wobegon, rather than a natural extension of my body. A reverse phantom limb. Anne had been a war journalist for some time out of college, and had picked up significant first aid as a result. She was able to properly stitch me up in the bathroom, but the bullet was staying in there. Like when Marissa shot me, it had only passed through flesh, sparing the bone, though unlike that gunshot wound, this one didn't graze me. It hadn't struck any organs, arteries, or joints, but it hadn't exited either. It lost considerable energy ricocheting against the electronic device inside of Tier 2 before striking me. I made sure to send a quick text message to Edgar, since it wasn't like me to wake up and leave before him. Didn't disappear on you. Old friend is in town. I'll fill you in soon. Cowboy emoji. I washed up, got my shirt back on, and made my way back to the kitchen. Anne had actually made breakfast. Biscuits and gravy. That's a pretty alright food that I'm notorious for eating a normal amount of. A gesture of goodwill, she explained. As if sewing me up wasn't enough, I inquired. Maybe I'm feeling guilty because I've done worse than that to you with a gun, she said, a faint smile appearing and vanishing quickly from her lips. It was truly the least that I could do. Did you ever figure out how you survived my fourth challenge, by the way? Nope, I said. No clue. Her biscuits and gravy weren't as good as the biscuits and gravy from the diner, but I was appreciative. Interesting, she said. This whole thing's a mess, you know? You and Ryan and the Flinchites and these new people? Arbiters, I offered. We called them Arbiters at the Flinchite compound after one of them told me that he was the Arbiter of Access to Wobegon. They've kept Ryan's flair for the dramatic, I see, she said. You should have seen how he was dressed, I replied. But yes, they've kept a lot of it intact. I can't say that I understand why, though. You would think that they would want to meddle in space-time without having to run a game on top of it. My guess? They don't know what they're doing, Anne said, taking a sip of her coffee. They have Wobegon, but they only have the finished product. They aren't able to reverse-engineer any of it. It's like if you have the code for something, but you don't know how to read it. You can change some of the variables, you can make the numbers bigger or smaller, and you can get some result, even if you don't know how the rest of the code is executing that variable. But you can't add new parts from scratch because you don't understand the language. They're script kitties. If they're script kitties, how do they manage to steal Wobegon from Ryan? I asked. If you have a thousand Bitcoin, you don't have to steal anything, Anne said. You think that someone bought Wobegon off of him? I asked. I think he took the money, cashed out, and fucked off to somewhere that no one would bother him anymore, she said. Well, I understand that impulse, I said, but why do you think that? Because Ryan's disappearance was completely bloodless. He left his home one day with a couple of suitcases, boarded a flight to who knows where, and hasn't been seen or heard from since. He seemed like he was in a hurry to get to the airport like someone trying to catch a flight, not desperate to get to the airport to dodge an attempt on his life. He didn't move his stuff out, but the day after he left it was completely gone. No storage facility, no movers, no U-Haul. No sign of a struggle, no sign of anything really. Everything was completely cleaned out without anyone entering or exiting the building. I think that was his severance package, a one-way ticket to anywhere that isn't Wobegon. These new guys don't have to worry about learning the technology to hide a corpse, and he gets to live his life out in style. Plus, he knows that they have the power to ruin everything if he decides that he wants to come back for some reason. 
And how do you know that he left? I asked. Because I was watching his house, duh, she said indignantly. I suppose I should have picked up on that. For how long? I asked. Since you told me who he was, one of the first things that I did after your little snafu taking Cannonball hostage was to figure out where Ryan lived and how to keep an eye on him without him noticing. Speaking of the original Wobegon crew, you did kill Cannonball, right? She asked. There was no concern in her voice, only interest. Yeah, it was... It was actually not as difficult as I thought it was going to be. I had help, I said. Had she been watching Cannonball's apartment as well? Did she see me get taken hostage for four months? I have some idea of the type of help you had, she said. Speaking of, I guess it's time that we address the elephant in the room. I'm not just coincidentally in town to patch you up and feed you comfort food. The Flinchite's mission is tonight. That's why I'm here. I haven't been sitting around while you've been traipsing around Old Brush Valley. I've been getting shit done. We've got a mission of our own tonight, Michael Walters. You, me, and Edgar. We've got our own to pull off. Uh, don't say that word, I said, only half-jokingly. What word? Michael? I thought you liked being called Michael. I thought I was building you up a little. I'll stick to Mike from now on, Anne said. No. I said. What? Why? She asked. Anytime I say that word, something unspeakably awful happens. Don't use that word. I know that I sounded silly and superstitious, but it was true. Anytime I called something a H-E-I-S-T. Everything went to shit. <laughs> I get chills just saying it. <laughs> okay, then what should I call it? Anne asked. I don't know. Just say we're gonna fuck shit up, maybe. I said. Alright, Mike. We're gonna fuck shit up for a bunch of different people in Old Brush Valley. Tonight. Let's get ready, she said. It was time to start planning. This is Wobegon. We got straight into it after breakfast. I was running on only a few hours of sleep, but I was systematically replacing the adrenaline in my blood with caffeine. I could sleep when I was dead. Hopefully not soon, but not out of the question. Anne was as poised and composed as always, a consummate professional. It was the first time that I had seen her in the flesh since she had shown up in Old Brush Valley and told me that she had killed me, completing the fourth Wobegon challenge by revoking her own prize. A night that I don't remember, one that was described to me with a tranquility that I didn't fully believe. She portrayed it as a quiet and calm night of convincing me that it was the right thing to do, similar to how I thought that my fourth challenge went until I was on the other side of it, cracking skulls with the butt of a gun until everything aligned perfectly. I didn't begrudge her anything if she had lied to me. It would be hypocritical for me of all people to hold anything against her, and, though I wasn't above being a hypocrite, I was beyond resenting someone who had a valid reason to kill Mike Walters. If the truth was more gruesome than the story that I was offered, it would not offer me any catharsis to know the truth. Anne convinced me to let her kill me in my cabin, and I agreed. 
That is the truth as it was relayed to me. It didn't matter, and there was no time to discuss it now. We were on even footing for the first time since she knocked on my door and explained to me that she was playing Wobegon in order to reverse me bleeding to death in my apartment in a DIY amputation rig. It was time to talk about the future. So, to be clear, it was your voice on the recording, right? I asked. That was me. Well, I know that it's going to be me, she said. It's from the future, I concluded. You sort of have an idea of what the future is going to look like, I think. And I do too, Anne said. When you went to kill Cannonball, you had help from yourself in the future. At least that's what I'm guessing, based on the information that I've received from myself. Two of them. How did you know that? I asked. At some point we get organized, apparently. There are Anne's and Mike's out there making moves across different points in time, keeping in communication with each other and carrying out operations, she said. How old was the oldest Mike? About ten years older, I said. I turn out to be quite the character, it seems. I did not elaborate. I do too, I think, she said. She sent me your little message to Edgar that the Flinchites had you record. I don't know how she got it, but it set me in motion. That's why I'm here. Quite the odd piece of audio. He's your little panther? I'd rather not talk about that, I blushed. No, it's cute. You two clearly love each other. You should lean into that. It reminds me of when you and John first met, she said. I was still blushing. We were talking about the future? I tried to steer us back to the conversation. Well, I'm still thinking about how cute the two of you are, and you can't stop me. But whatever is going on in the future, the seeds of it are being planted right now. There's future Anne sending recordings to me and you, plus the stuff with the other two mics, and that's just the beginning. I think the big event that kicks everything off happens tonight, she said. The voice on the recording, uh, you, I guess, kept emphasizing that you had to be extremely careful about sending information back in time, because if information can make it back in time this far, there's a danger that it can be sent even further back and into the wrong hands, and all of the plans could be undermined, I said. I think that's why this is the earliest that we get to know these things. The Flinchites run into difficulty tracking any of us after this time as well, which seems related. And it's just in time for this big Tier 2 event that they had you orchestrate, she added. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't either, I said. Not with how cagey the Flinchites were about what my message to Edgar was actually going to be used for. Which is why I started preparing right after I got that message from myself, she said. We're going to build something for ourselves, Mike. Like the Flinchites, like Over, like Wobegon, but it's all ours. An institution connected to itself through time that will only strengthen as we grow it. That's why I came out here when I did. I've started getting ready. If someone is going to be at the forefront of this institution, then it's going to be me. I don't mean to sound like the boss or anything, but we have to get started now, and we need to hit the ground running. I mean, were you making any plans to do something like this? No. I could if I wanted to, I said. You sure could, buddy, Anne teased. The recording came with a note in my handwriting and today's date. That means Edgar is going to get the recording today, and the big shindig starts at 11 o'clock. I told Edgar about it, and I told him to steer clear, but you made it sound in your message like we don't actually have an option. At least Edgar is going to be there no matter what. No word on me or you being there. I guess someone will transport him there if he doesn't follow instructions of his own accord, I said. Some of the worry about what would happen to Edgar crept back in under the excitement. I didn't get the message from me, so I don't know what's in it, Anne said. Long story short, you had me destroy a bunch of shit inside of Tier 2. You said it was to keep Edgar from dying, and you had convincing proof. One of the future mics told me that Edgar got hospitalized from the incident, but there seems to be a likelihood that he will get killed. You texted me as soon as I got back from the job, so I thought you knew, 
I said. I texted you as soon as the sun was up, she said. That might or might not be a coincidence. It sounds like you predicting what you would do, I said. You left a note, too. It said, hoping to redeem my prize. Cute, she said. She must have done that. But she's right. I finally get to enjoy the benefits of bringing you back, she said. We're going to develop a parallel access point to time travel. I'm going to meet your boyfriend. We're going to kill a bunch of people at your workplace. It's going to be fun. What do you think happens tonight? I asked. Well, it seems like the Flinchites want to use Edgar as bait for the Arbiters. He's doing something with the boulders, inserting a device into a port, she said. I destroyed that port and the power source that goes with it last night, I said. Well, that really throws a wrench in someone's plan, Anne said. They made me tell Edgar to kill anyone at the boulders tonight, I said. It sounds like they made Edgar into a big target, she said, not just an unfortunate casualty. Well, that's not going to happen now, I said. I made sure of it, and you seem to have confirmed it for the future, so what is going to happen? We take charge of our destiny. Or, if not our destiny, then we collapse the probability of whatever potential actions we might take, she said. We don't wait for them to drop Edgar into Tier 2 like a sitting duck. We go in there, locked and loaded, ready for whatever happens. Hell yeah, I said. As long as I don't think about the inevitable bloodshed, that makes us sound fucking awesome. Hey, it would be the first time that you died kicking ass and taking names, Anne said. That you know of, I corrected her. What do you think is going on with those boulders? I thought that everything inside of Old Brush Valley was gone after what happened inside of 357A, but they seem to be still important somehow. The Flinchites think they're important, the Arbiters think they're important. I had to go destroy part of it last night, so clearly you in the future thinks it's important. The first time I ever saw the Flinchites is when they roughed me up in my cabin trying to get information about these boulders. Sounds like something that works even without 357A, she said. Without Flinch? Without the Wobegon technology? I said. At least that's what I thought was in there. I thought that's why I got sent to Old Brush Valley in the first place. And then after the attack, their temporal security program inside Tier 2 didn't work anymore, and I thought that was proof. Maybe it's something more primitive than Wobegon? She asked. Well, it did shock the fuck out of me both times that I was there, I said. We can speculate on what it is and where that second access point is after we take care of the standoff that's going to be happening tonight, she said. It appears we'll have to step over a pile of bodies to figure out what the boulders are actually used for. So what's the next step? I asked. I think it's time I meet your boyfriend, Anne said. It's time to let him in on our little plan and we can prepare together. Plus, I want to make sure he's not trouble if he's going to be dating you. Yeah, Anne. When I'm in a relationship, the person who usually turns out to be trouble is my boyfriend, not me. I said. Anne and I made our way to Old Brush Valley. I texted Edgar and let him know that I was heading over and that I was bringing a friend. He asked if it was about the message and I told him that it was. He didn't respond further. I assumed that meant that he had listened to it. Charlie was at the gate, vigilant as ever. She smiled at me and then gave Anne a serious once-over. Hi Charlie, this is Anne. She's in town this week and wanted to drop by, I explained. I remember you, she said with suspicion. You visited before, a while ago? Oh, right, I did, to see Hunter. I'm friends with him too, she said. No, I think it was to see Mikey boy here, Charlie said. Hmm, oh yeah, I guess this is my third time here. Me and Mikey just ate at the diner when I came to visit him though. I didn't go inside. She paused for a moment. Oh, I don't think it was you at the gate when I came to visit Hunter. It was some guy. 
Taylor or something? Troy. Right, that must be it. Charlie smiled politely, but I could tell that she was trying to work out exactly what was going on. It was her job to keep suspicious people out of over, after all. She looked at me questioningly, as if she were trying to use her body language to ask me whether I was safe with Anne. Then her demeanor became softer, more cheery. See any bluebirds this morning, Mike? She asked. Not this morning, I replied. Darn. Well, let me know when you see one, she winked. I'll buzz you in. There was a buzzing sound and the gate unlocked. We passed through the metal detector and proceeded into over. Bluebird was a code word that Charlie had given me to signal to her if someone had come into Old Brush Valley in order to give me trouble. We didn't speak terribly often outside of work, but she was highly protective of me. I wondered if she was that protective of all of the employees or if I just exuded an aura of needing protection. Regardless, her instincts were mostly correct. This was the first time that anyone had come to visit me without malicious intentions. I did wish that she would be less vigilant this one time, though. The less people remembered about our movements inside of Over, the better. Her attention to detail and the metal detector at the gate prevented Anne from bringing her gun in, since she was a visitor and it wasn't an Over-issued service weapon. That meant that we would be one gun down tonight if things went like they seemed that they would. We made our way directly to Edgar's cabin in hopes that as few people as possible would see us. Edgar opened the door and ushered us inside. Hi, Mikey. Edgar looked at Anne. Let's see, Matt's dead, John's a big burly guy, I'm pretty sure, and there's only one woman that Mikey ever talks about from his old life, so... Since Mike's only ever had three friends as far as I can tell, by process of elimination, you must be... Anne. Nice to meet you. I'm Edgar, by the way. Pleasure to meet you too, Anne said. Mikey has only said wonderful things. I like him, Mikey. Fifteen seconds and he's already problem-solving. We're gonna need that tonight. Edgar stiffened up slightly when Anne mentioned tonight. He looked upset in a way that other people might not notice, looking at the ground slightly to his left out into space. I thought we were ignoring the message, Edgar said. He scratched the back of his head. Not that I didn't appreciate hearing it from you, even if my eyes did threaten to roll out of my head while you talked about ball-peen hammers. I hated that part too, Anne said. She's heard it, Edgar asked. Look, change of plans, Edgar, I told him. Anne showed up with some new info and some bad news this morning. We don't have a choice to ignore the message. If we ignore the message, we're going to get dragged in kicking and screaming. And if someone's dragging us into it, that means they already have their metaphorical hands around our wrists. What are you saying? Edgar asked. We're going to have to go into Tier 2 tonight, I said. We're going to have to go through with the plan, at least up to a point. It's the only way that we stand any chance. He stared at my arm while I spoke. Mike, are you bleeding? He asked. He's not anymore, Anne said. I had to run some errands this morning to make sure that tonight goes smoothly, I said. Edgar let out an exasperated sigh. And what is it that we're going to do once we get in there? Follow directions? Mike, you told me to kill people in that message. You told me when you got back that I end up in the hospital. We aren't following all of the directions, I said. It's not even possible to. I destroyed that device port this morning. I do think that I need to point out that just because we're not following directions doesn't mean that we're not killing anyone," Anne said. I glared at her. Mikey, if we skirt around the possibilities, we are going to die in there. She turned to make direct eye contact with Edgar. Edgar, there are people working on this that have already seen it happen and are trying to prevent it from turning out how they experienced it. We're moving heaven and earth to keep you alive. Do you understand what we're telling you? Someone already knows what happens if we ignore the message and the result involves body bags. 
Edgar didn't respond. He looked to the side again, staring off into the distance. Then he looked at me. I could see him lingering on my left arm, freshly stitched up, then my hair, longer than it could have grown in a single day, then at my face, aged further than my years. He looked down at my hand, deeply scarred and not fully functional. He looked at my gun, holstered at my hip, the rare occasion that I kept it with me. He looked me in the eyes, my uncertain, nervous glance an easy giveaway. You were gone for so long, he finally said. I could hear it in your voice, in the recording. I didn't even have time to notice you were gone, but you were gone for so long. He went quiet. Nobody spoke. One of us is going to die if we don't do anything. Do I have that right? At least one of us, I replied. You're in the most danger, Edgar, Anne said. And we're going to be dragged into this regardless of if we prepare for it or not, Edgar continued. That's what we've been told, Anne said. And Mike is an awful shot with that gun because he won't practice with it. He continued further. Hey, I used it today, I countered. Ignore the stitches. So we're all going to go into tier two together and hope that we can somehow prepare for whatever bloodbath is going to happen and that whoever dies tonight, it won't be any of the three of us, he concluded. Exactly, Anne said solemnly. We all looked at each other for a moment, all of us still standing around in Edgar's living room, none of us having sat down during the entire conversation. So me and you are doing the shooting, right, Anne? Edgar asked, breaking the silence. Mike tells me that you used to be a war reporter. I think that would be the best course of action, Anne said, especially if there are only two guns to go around. You know, Mike shot himself with his own gun this morning. That's what I had to stitch up. My face went red. Well, you should see me in ten years, I said. I'm a regular old Butch Cassidy by then. The Sundance Kid was the one who was a good shot, Anne replied. No, I mean that when I'm 40, I'm going to look how Paul Newman did when he was 40. You're welcome, Edgar. I winked at him. Anne broke apart the small talk. All right, crew. She looked at her watch. Game time is in about eight hours. Let's start solidifying some of these plans, shall we? First thing we should do is review the recording and take notes, I think. Edgar, you have the most tier two knowledge, correct? Edgar nodded. Oh, but I've seen it the most at night, I interjected. Right, she said. We'll map out the area and plan an itinerary around that. Mike, you've seen an Arbiter before. We've both seen the Flinchite goons. Between the two of us, we should be able to imagine some of what's going to happen tonight. Everything we can predict will make us safer. And just like that, the plotting began. It was all coming to a point, out in the middle of Old Brush Valley. Mike, Edgar, Anne, Tier 2, the boulders. The possibility of a future where we have control. Next time... A standoff in the middle of the night, in the middle of a highly classified government facility. Us, the Flinchites, the Arbiters, over. Wobegon. Thanks for playing.
I thought we were ignoring the message, Edgar said. Well, Edgar, most people do ignore the message, but it's a very underrated podcast. It's not as ambitious as Life After, but if you listen to Life After after you listen to the message, there's a whole bunch of Easter eggs in there. So it's definitely worth checking out, and it's super short, so go listen to the message. What were we talking about? Murder? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.